Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all the abundance of rain we have received in the last couple of weeks, I couldn't else but think about Psalm 65. And we often sing this psalm, or from the psalm, in our Thanksgiving service once a year. The Lord has indeed richly blessed us. Beloved, His abundant blessings are not limited to rain or, or any material means. He has also greatly blessed us in a spiritual way. For this morning, we have a new member in our midst. By publicly professing his faith, Brody will become a new member of the spiritual body of Christ here in Armadale. And in receiving God's blessing in Brody as new member, we can't else but praise the Lord, verse 1. This great blessings is indeed God's work. That's also clear from 60, Psalm 65. In an awesome way, he graciously chooses and draws to himself those whom he wants to add to his people. And in this, blesses us above our expectations. He blesses us with everything we need. And so I preach you the gospel this morning under the theme, God's awesome ways in the lives of his people. We'll look at three points. He chooses in his grace. He draws by the gospel and he blesses abundantly. God's awesome ways in the life, lives of his people. First, he chooses in his grace. Beloved, every now and then, Brody and myself had a chat after the pre-confession class. And often we reflected on, on God's amazing way in, in Brody's life. And then we concluded that it's indeed the Lord who graciously chose him to be part of his church here in Armadale. And maybe Mandy and, and some other members or young members were instruments in God's hand to execute God's choice. But that Brody can publicly profess his faith this morning here in the church is ultimately the result of God who chose him. God is a God who chooses people. He chose Abel above Cain. He chose Noah, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, etc. He also chose Israel to be his covenant people. God also chooses and chose certain people in special offices. Or certain individuals outside of God's people. Either to join his people like Ruth... Or to serve a specific godly purpose, like the Persian King Cyrus. Now Psalm 65 verse 4 suggests someone who is chosen by God for a task in his temple. Someone like a priest. A priest is one who is caused to approach or brought near to God by virtue of his role in the temple. We can think of people like Aaron and his sons, Exodus 40, verse 12. 
who were chosen for a special task in the sacrificial worship service. But also others who who were not priests were chosen to dwell in God's courts. The Bible tells us about the prophet Samuel, who served alongside the high priest Eli in God's tabernacle. And there were also people like kings, like, like King David and especially King Solomon, who were chosen for a special task about God's house. And when they're looking at the New Testament, we see that God continues to choose people. When Jesus was on earth, he chose 12 men from his disciples to form a special group, John 15, verse 16. And after his ascension, except for Judas Iscariot, they were chosen as apostles to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus, being the ultimate priest, prophet, and king, chose us as Christians also today to be prophet, priests, and kings. We are, together with Brody, a chosen generation. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people, that we may proclaim the praise of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And so God chose Brody to officially join the ranks of those who present themselves as spiritual living sacrifices of thankfulness to the Lord. Those are 12. The congregation, why is it important to highlight the fact that it is God who chooses? Because his choice is not a question of fate or destiny. It is a personal choice made by our almighty and sovereign God. That's why you see that although members have been raised in the same family, often by the same standards, one of the family members comes to faith and the other not. It is God's choice. I know we We could sometimes struggle with this. Why does the one believe and why doesn't the other not? We should not forget, beloved, that every family member, when becoming an old, has made a conscious choice. But God's choice also is behind those choosing for Him. Because nobody comes to faith of his own accord. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. God chooses. And faith is a gift from God. No one can give faith to others except God. And therefore he chooses. And he does so in his grace. And therefore Brody and all the other believers are not chosen because they started to believe, to believe themselves. No, they were chosen in order to believe. God had them in mind before he made the world. Already then he saw and he wanted them. 
God was and always is ahead of each believer. He knew you long before you were born. And God's decision to choose you is not blind fate, but a choice based on His love and His grace. You can only understand something of these amazing words when you realize that every human being has broken away from God. Because since Adam's fall in paradise, no human being chooses for God of his own accord. Also, none of us. We are not the slightest bit better than the people around us who do not believe in God. But blessed is the man you choose, says our text. And I can rather ask, Lord, who am I that you chose me? You know, it's like, it's like queuing in the economy class line at, at the airport. When someone from the airline then calls out your name and tells you that your ticket has been upgraded to business class, you probably would ask surprised, but what have I done to deserve this special treatment? And if the answer comes, well, it's a compliment ticket, it, it's on the house, then you understand what it means to be chosen freely, graciously. And with God, it's the same, or rather, more profound. His choice comes from His inner compassion. God's good pleasure is immeasurably deep. Nobody has the right to mercy. Otherwise, it will no longer be mercy. God is in no way obliged to save anyone. Neither does He plunge people into ruin. God only seals the unwillingness of man. And beloved, if God had left us to ourselves, none of us would have turned to Him. Every person would have completely gone his own way, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And yet, yet God in His grace and out of His deepest love reached out to fallen men. And that's why Paul highlights the fact in Ephesians 2 verse 8 when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and, not, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Now the question for some remains, but how do I know that I'm chosen by God? Maybe I have not done profession of faith yet. Or maybe I've done profession of faith, but I, I'm not so sure. Beloved, the answer is not found in ourselves. It is found in Christ, says Ephesians 1 verse 4. In Him, God comes to you with His electing love. And Jesus made this clear in His prayer in John 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. God's plan to graciously choose some 
is completely entwined with his plan of salvation. And when there's a living relationship with Christ, and you know that this prayer of Christ applies to you, and you believe it, then also the certainty of your election grows. If you really believe in Him, you may see that as the evidence of God's choice. God choosing for you. Because the living faith is not something you can cause yourself. Indeed, whoever embraces Christ in faith has been touched by God's electing love. He can say, Lord, your grace is indeed amazing grace. You have done it in my life. This is, of course, the result of an amazing process by which the Lord draws a person by the gospel. And this we see in the second point. Congregation, what does our text imply with the words and cause to approach you? Well, we need to say that, first of all, nobody on earth ever sought to approach the Lord. The natural man knows that God exists. His attributes can clearly be seen and understood by the things that are made, says Romans 1.20. Yet, Paul continues in chapter 3.11, There is no one who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. And besides not being interested by nature, sinful man is also not able to seek or to approach God. Even God's covenant people, Israel, while in Egypt, needed a lot of conviction to come to God. And yes, even in the new covenant, no one comes to God by himself or by herself. For Jesus says, no one can come to me if he is not drawn by the Father. So it's really only God who can cause a person to approach him, to be in his presence, to be in his temple. God draws. And how does he do this? Well, God chose to use the way of conviction. He doesn't force people, since love doesn't force no, they are recruited, enticed, and invited. Many are called in utmost seriousness. Sadly, not all take the invitation. But those who do show that the call is too strong to resist. And behind their response, behind their choice, lies God's choice. Their choices are completely enveloped by His his electing love has drawn them to approach him by responding positively to the call. And that's why no man can ever avoid this responsibility. Now this is beautifully illustrated in the passage that we have read in John 6. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus had miraculously fed over 5,000 people by multiplying five barley loaves and two small fish. And so when the people seek him for more, 
He pointed to himself as the one who also provides spiritual food, something they needed more urgently. And he called them and invited them to come to him by saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6 verse 35. And so we see, beloved, this call of the Lord Jesus is, although general, genuine. It is true. And we see that this call always goes via Christ. He calls to faith. He calls to His Word, to the Gospel. Come to me. Eat from me. And so all the people need to respond to this call to come to Him. At that same time, Jesus says that those who come do not come of their own accord, but because His Father makes them come. Jesus says in verse 40 that it is the will of Him who sent Him that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, then that faith is having a sure knowledge and having a firm confidence that whatever Jesus says, that it is true. That He is indeed the bread of life, the food for eternal life. So when Christ offers Himself, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the living word, this offer, this invitation is not without obligation, but comes with a command to faith and repentance. Now when many in the crowd questioned the statement of Jesus, Jesus continued. He again says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, and he who believes in me has everlasting life. And note here, congregation, Jesus doesn't say to them, um, well, just ignore my call or consider it, because, hey, you, you don't belong to me anyway, because, yeah, you have not been chosen or, or elected. You have not been drawn by the Father. No, not at all. Christ shows here that nobody can come to Him on the basis of His own insights. If you rely on your own insight, follow your own impressions, you will never come to realize that this man from Nazareth is God's Son who brings salvation. But when the Father draws you, when He makes you to respond to this call, and He makes you approach Him, yes, no one can resist this is a God's amazing grace to us. This is how He draws us. And along the way, beloved, we notice how God carries out His decree via Christ. For the Lord Jesus reveals more about Himself. He explains what He means by saying, I am the bread of life. And the bread that I shall give, He says, is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. And by saying that, the Lord Jesus is projecting His sacrifice 
on the cross where he will sacrifice his body to feed them spiritually. Therefore, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, spiritually gives everlasting life. And that's what we also plan to to celebrate next week at the Lord's Supper. When eating the bread and drinking the wine. You are making him, your Lord, your own spiritually. You approach the Father in Christ. Or that rather, Christ draw himself draws very near to you in bread and wine. And he promises himself so strongly that he completely wants to give himself in total surrender and in perfect love to you and to you. And ever since Pentecost we see this happening. For Jesus also gave his spirit, which is the spirit of life. Jesus later says in verse 63. There he repeats. He says, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And this is how Brody came to the Lord. This is how we, together with him, approach the Father. That's the work of his Spirit. And our confessions in Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 11, describes this process of being drawn by the Spirit of Christ to the Father. There we confess that God takes care that the gospel is preached to them and powerfully enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the, thing, the things of the Spirit of God. By the efficacious working of the same regenerating spirit, he also penetrates into the innermost recesses of men. He opens the closed. He softens the hard heart. He circumcises that which was uncircumcised and instills new qualities into the will. He makes the will which was dead alive, which was bad Good, which was unwilling, he made willing, which was stubborn, he made obedient. He moves and strengthens it so that, like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. And also, Article 12 continues saying of this work of the Spirit, it is clearly a supernatural, most powerful. And at the same time, most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. That's what we have witnessed in Brody's life. In fact, we confess that it's not inferior in power to creation or the raising of the dead. How powerful is that? Hence, all those in whose hearts God works in this amazing way are certainly unfailingly and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. And then the will is so renewed. And then the will so renewed is not only acted upon and moved by God, but acted upon by God, it will set itself also to act. And therefore man himself is rightly said to believe and repent through the grace he has received. 
You think about this. And you meditate on this. You consider this. One cannot else but say, Indeed, your ways in the lives of your people, God, is amazing. It's awesome. Thank you for drawing us, making us approach the Father. And beloved, what happens when you are chosen and by the Spirit's work made approaching the Father? Well, this we see in the third point. He blesses abundantly. Beloved, we have seen in the first point that the priests are chosen and then approach the Lord. And the Old Testament, they were those who literally dwell in the temple courtyards. But this also had an impact on the whole of God's people. The entire people were to enjoy the good things that come from the temple. And especially during the celebration of the feasts at the temple. It was a holy place. A place of splendor. A place of blessing. And the festival the festival that people are celebrating is the evidence that that verse 4b is true. The goodness of the Lord's house is everything He bestows on His people. It's all the food and a drink that people enjoyed at the festival. And coming to the temple on such an occasion is indeed like coming to the royal palace for a banquet. That's what we're going to celebrate also next week. The goodness among God's spiritual house. But beloved, the good things are also symbolic, symbolic of something broader. Because the festival celebrates the goodness of God that gave people the land and gives them the year's harvest. It is the, the Lord's dwelling in His house that is the key to them staying in their land. If God ever abandons His house, they will find themselves losing the land itself, as the exile showed, exile showed. It is God's presence in this holy place that makes it possible for them to ask the good things for them each year. It is from God's presence in His house that good things flow out. Chapter 9, verse 9 to 13. He gave the rains. He let the crops grow. God's awesome deeds and abundant blessings require His people to bow in reverence before God. God, You have blessed us abundantly. Praise be your name. But beloved, the main blessing here is rather spiritual. First of all, there is the prayer on the on the uh, the answer on the prayer for forgiveness of transgressions, verse 3a. There's also provision of atonement for them, verse 3b. And when they approach God honestly, the first thing we they knew and they acknowledge is that they were sinners in need of forgiveness. That they realized that iniquities prevailed against them. And that they know 
that God purges transgressions away. And the same with us. What are the blessings you are looking for in your life? Is it material? Are they material blessings? Or do we understand what Psalm 65 tells us? Forgiveness of sins, atonement, reconciliation. Now, reading verse 3, beloved, before the coming of Christ, we recognize that this is what the people of God understood God to be doing for them. The people recognized that their sins were against them and that God was the only one who could make atonement for their sins. God was willing to make a covering for their sins by the means of the blood on the altar. But notice in our psalm that David does not say that the animals sacrificed atone for the people's transgressions. David knew better than this. He says that it is God who is covering over the people's sins. In fact, David is declaring what Paul would teach in Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5. But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. What a blessing in abundance. And that is why verse 4 is possible. Because God forgave. And God alone forgives us our sins. It's the greatest blessing a man can receive. The rain, the good harvest, and God's power in creation, in fact, confirms His grace and His kindness to us. And that is what Brody and every believer has discovered. God alone chooses us out of the mass of humanity for Himself. God alone brings us into the courts of His church and kingdom. God alone satisfies us with His goodness because He forgave our sins. And then we might still notice that God's creation suffers under the result of sin. But as Paul says in Romans 8 verse 20 to 21, that the creation looks forward in hope. Because the same God who is our Savior in Jesus Christ, who made atonement, who paid the price for our sins to be forgiven, has also promised that the creation will be delivered from its suffering and be brought into the glory that Jesus has prepared for us. And in response to that great news, we read that creation rejoices. It drinks the goodness of the Lord. It is able to cry out glory, joy, praise to Him. And if creation knows God in this way, beloved, that it should respond in constant praise and obedience for the sake of joy, if creation somewhat understands as it longs for redemption, the work of God Almighty in Christ, how ought we to respond? We who have been chosen and saved by God alone and have been brought into His church and kingdom, 
in Christ and through His Spirit? Shall we not be filled with awe and joy and live to praise God and obey Him also this week and the time to follow? Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you the vow shall be performed, says verse 1. That is the way it should be with us. Our hearts should always be ready to break out in praise to the God who always provides and blesses abundantly, especially spiritually. Those who have such a readiness to praise God will pay their vows. And to fulfill, fulfill a vow is to offer to God what He has promised to us, a life of praise and thanksgiving and service. May this also be for you, Brother Higgins, that you will grow in that praise and service of the Lord. And so, beloved, as we close, Psalm 65 has shown us that we are all invited into God's presence because He chose to call us in Christ. Let us heed the call and repent and believe. Then we may join those who graciously chosen to be His worshippers through His Spirit here on earth as well as in heaven. And what enormous privilege to be chosen by God to worship Him. God's chosen one will then also one day dwell in the eternal light of Christ's presence. And he will be satisfied with abundant blessings in Christ, in whom Psalm 65 has found its eternal fulfillment. Yes, we will be satisfied at the marriage feast of the Lamb, and Christ will be our temple. Therefore, our God deserves all praise and honor because of his awesome ways in Brody's life and in the life of all his people. Amen.